right. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. You ready? I read in Jesus' name. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. That verse 9 is talking about the very tail end of the feeding of the 4,000, but I wanted it to be there. Uh, the message is really 10, 11, and 12, 13, but anyway, here we go. Verse 10. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Verse 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let these be your words to your people now in Jesus' name. Amen. Story goes, a truck driver was taking his load to a new destination, and as he drove, he was intently watching for the signs leading to his exit. In his effort to find the right exit, he missed the signs warning him of a low overpass ahead. Now, to his astonishment, his truck became stuck under the overpass, and he could not go forward. He could not back up. Traffic began to back up, and tempers began to flare. The police were called, wreckers were summoned, and an effort to free the truck was underway. They tried, they tried tow trucks, wrenches, pulleys, wedges, nothing, nothing worked. Time was starting to pass, and the t- truck remained just as stuck as ever. Now, by this time, a considerable crowd had gathered to watch the workers in their attempts to free the truck, and in that crowd was a little boy who was riding his bicycle over the overpass, and he stopped to watch the show. And after a few minutes, he called out to one of the policemen below, Hey, officer, I know how to get that truck out from under the bridge. The policeman looked up and ignored the little boy. The boy really wanted to help, so he cried out louder, Hey, officer, I know how to get that truck stuck from under the bridge. I know how. So finally, with a hint of irritation, the police officer says, Okay, young man, tell me how. Without a pause, the little boy said, Let the air out of the tires. That's what they did, and the truck was easily able to be pulled free. Now, I don't know if that tale is true or not. It doesn't even matter, because either way, the story teaches a couple important truths. First, it's easy to overlook the obvious right when it's up in your grill. Right when it's in your face, you can sometimes miss it. All of us have that happen to us from time to time. Second, wise people learn to pay attention to all the signs. Signs are important in the physical world, and I've missed a few turns because I've missed a road sign. I've been speeding because I missed a sign that told me to slow down. Signs help you to know where you are and what you are supposed to be doing. Signs serve a valuable purpose in our lives. They really do. Just as there are signs in the physical realm, then, think about it, wouldn't there also be signs in the spiritual realm? Those signs are even more important than the signs in the physical world. Because the signs in the spiritual world have eternity attached to them. You can miss a sign or two here, and things are probably going to turn out okay. But if you miss too many spiritual signs, you might end up in hell. At the very least, you will end up in deep trouble with the Lord. This passage tells us about a group of people who missed all the signs and got themselves really in bad shape with the Lord Jesus. 
Let's watch what happens when you miss the spiritual signs the Lord has prepared for you. And I want you to see this morning some truths in this passage as I share on the attempted encouragement to you to see the signs. This is a warning I think many should take to heart. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope this strengthens you. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope this convicts you. But understand, I'm not playing games. I'm just sharing what I know to be true. And if it comes across a little harsh, like every time I put the word hell in my notes, I, I got clenchy. Because over the last 20 years, preachers have been taught that you don't do that if you want to grow a church. You use the term separated from Christ for eternity. Don't use the word hell. By the way, it's in here like eight times, just giving you a fair warning. Let's go to point number one. Point number one today is a straight-up demand. Jesus had just finished one of the greatest miracles in his ministry. He took seven small loaves of bread and a few small fish, and he fed 4,000 people. When the meal was over, the disciples collected seven baskets filled with the leftovers from the meal. And according to verse 10, Jesus and the boys immediately leave by ship and go to another part of Israel. And as soon as they arrive there, the minute they get there, they are met by the Pharisees. You might remember the Pharisees. They were the religious it people of their day. They were very legalistic, and they hated Jesus because he refused to do the things the way they said things were supposed to be done. When Jesus arrives in their neck of the woods, they come out to meet him. The Bible says in verse 11, they began to question him. The word question means to dispute or argue. And the word is in a tense that suggests they wouldn't shut up. They kept on trying to drag Jesus into these theological arguments. We are told what, what they were trying to get Jesus to do. They wanted him to show them a sign from heaven. The Bible says that they were tempting him. That is, they were putting him to the test. They were trying to get Jesus to prove his authority and the source of his power. After all, I mean, if Jesus is God, then surely he would want to do some sort of magic in the sky to prove it, right? Other men of God had done similar things in Israel's past. I mean, think about it now. Joshua commanded the sons to stand still, and it obeyed in Joshua 10. Samuel prayed during a battle, and the Lord answered with strong, loud thunder, which you know, discombobulated the enemies, just confused them. Elijah prayed in, in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Elijah prays, and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. He prays again, it rains. Elijah also called down fire from heaven, which consumed a sacrifice and the altar that was soaked in water. Others had done similar things in the past to prove that they were from the Lord. What these men were really trying to do was to get Jesus to try to overpromise what they thought he couldn't deliver. They knew about the things he had done with the people, the demons, the food. They knew all this stuff because they were waiting for him when he pulled up. Word spread and they jumped on him as soon as he got to the shore. See, they were trying to get him to attempt in a miracle and then fail so that they could denounce him as a false prophet. There wasn't anything righteous or inquisitive, or anything about their questioning. They were also saying that all the things Jesus had already done in the power of God were insufficient to prove that he was the Messiah. They knew the things that Jesus had done. Get your mind around that. But they wanted more. See, consider all the miracles Jesus had already done. Just a quick little bullet point for you. He healed the sick. Jesus raised the dead. 
Jesus had delivered people from the bondage of demon possession. Jesus had walked on water. Jesus had calmed storms. Jesus had twice multiplied meager amounts of food and fed vast multitudes with it. Jesus has opened the word of God, preached it clearly, and made the meaning of Scripture plain to all who heard him. The people were all talking about him. They said in Mark 2.12, we never saw it in this fashion. And they said in Mark 7.37, he has done all things well. The Pharisees had heard enough gospel to save the world. They had seen enough proof to convince the most stubborn of skeptics. Their problem was simply, now don't miss this, their problem was simply they did not want to believe in Jesus. They did not want him to be their Messiah. They refused to bow down to him as their saviors, as their savior. We still have Pharisees with us today. We still have people who demand to see something sensational before they will commit to following Jesus. People thrive on the sensational. Why do you think someone like Benny Hinn had such a following? It wasn't the hair. People flock to him and those like him because he promises them the sensational. Far too many people are waiting on some supernatural event to prove the existence of God. Fact is, God has already proven that he exists. While the world is looking for a sign, God tells us that he is visible in the ordinary things of the world. The things we take for granted every day are the very things that prove God is real. Let me share a few with you. Let's go to... Psalm 19. Do I have it in there? I have Psalm 19? Okay. I, I don't have it in my notes, so I thought I didn't have it on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God in the sky above, proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. God tells us that the heavens above speak about him. Our earth, have you thought about this? Here's some, sta- here's some, here's some statistics that, I don't know how you don't understand that there's a God just with this. Our earth is traveling around its own axis at 1,000 miles per hour. It moves around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. It is carried across our galaxy at the speed of 64,000 miles per hour, and it moves in an orbit around our galaxy at 481,000 miles an hour. It travels through space at 1.35 million miles per hour. Every 24 hours, we cover 57,360,000 miles. Each year, we travel 20.9 billion miles across empty space. And every movement in the billions of galaxies in the universe occurs with precise split-second timing. Consider the vast size of our universe. It is so vast that it takes a beam of light which travels some 700 million miles per hour over 100,000 years just to cover the length of our galaxy, the Milky Way. And our galaxy is only one among billions in the known universe. Imagine it this way. Think of an orange representing the sun, and and, and it's sitting right here on the end of the pulpit. And there's a grain of sand, that's the earth, and it's circling at the distance of about 30 feet, so basically still inside this room. And then Pluto 
Oh, poor Pluto. Is it a planet or isn't it? What have we decided? I'm saying it was a planet. It's another grain of sand. And it's circling the orange at 10 city blocks away. Think of Town Square where Coffee Girl is and Pizza Ranch. Alpha Centauri, the nearest star, is 1,300 miles away from the orange. Think about Jacksonville, Florida. That's about 1,300 miles from Harlem. Consider how small our universe is. All matter in the universe is made up of atoms. All matter is made up of atoms. There are so many atoms on an ink pen, on the head of an ink pen, that if an army marched past four abreast, every soldier carrying one atom, it would take that army 20,000 years to march past. The depth, width, and breadth of our God is obvious and it's hard to comprehend. Consider the marvel of the human body. David said that we were fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. Look, a sperm and an egg joined together to produce life, and no two people in the world are exactly alike. No two fingerprints are exactly alike. Emily and I have had four children with the mix of our DNA, and those four are not even close to being alike. Consider the marvel of the DNA. Every one of the 7.5 trillion cells in your body contains genetic material that to make another you. And your DNA is unique to you. You are different from every other person who has ever lived. All of these things, do they not scream that there is a God? What more signs do you need? Fact is, these signs and many more are proof positive of God's existence. To reject him and his word while you claim to be waiting for a sign is nothing more than rebellion against a holy God. If you are looking for a sign today, I'm going to give you a couple. First, look no further than Calvary. Look no further than the cross. That cross stands as an eternal sign of the love of God for lost sinners. If you're looking for a sign, then look to the empty tomb. It's the eternal sign that our Savior is alive forever. If you need a sign pointing the way to God, look at your Bible in your possession. It has survived the attacks of all enemies of God, and it still clearly points to salvation. If you are looking for a sign to prove the claims of the Bible and the Lord are real, just look around you. Changed lives is all the proof that I needed before my life was changed. And then, now I know. See, those saved by looking to the brazen serpent in Exodus 21 is a forerunning and proof that a look of faith can heal your body and your soul for eternity. See, the Pharisees didn't believe because they didn't want to believe. I wish people would get this around their, their hearts and their heads and their minds and their soul and their being. Their request for a sign was a smoke screen. Even if Jesus had made visible the heavens, they still would not have believed him. They rejected him because he wasn't what they were expecting. So I ask, without pretense, fear, or condemnation, what's your excuse? What excuse are you holding on to? Let's go to point number two. I want you to see our Savior's firm response. Our Savior's firm response. When Jesus hears their demand, he's grieved in his soul. His is a sign of frustration and perhaps even anger. 
His question, why does this generation seek after a sign, when Jesus said that, was a question born out out of just dumbfounded amazement. After all, that generation had the greatest sign in all in their midst. They had the Messiah. He was standing there in the flesh. God was talking to them in the flesh, and they couldn't even recognize him. They were looking for a heavenly sign, and heaven had taken up residence among them, and they missed it. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. But when men looked at Jesus, they didn't see the Father. They saw the devil. That's Mark three twenty two for those of you taking notes. That's what went down in the New Testament. I hope you get your mind around it. The generation had all the signs, and they could not see the truth that was standing right in front of their eyes. We got time. I want to I share with you how John described it. John chapter 1. Should be easy for everybody to find. John chapter 1, just the first 14 verses. And I'm going to do the New Living Translation today because I think it just words it a little different than what we memorized in Sunday school, catechism, confirmation, whatever y'all went through before you found Jesus. Um, Thank you for getting that one. (laughs) Sorry, that probably was inappropriate. John chapter 1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought, limit, or brought light and to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. By the way, do you guys read this at Christmas? We're going to, and we should. This is one of the best Christmas passages ever, and yet we always go to Matthew and Luke too, right? Verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Hallelujah. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Bada bing, bada boom. There it is. That generation had all the signs and they failed to see the truth. Thus, Jesus told them they would be given no sign. They would be given only one sign. You guys know what Jesus told them sign to look for? They would be given the sign of the prophet Jonah. The only sign they would be given would be Christ's resurrection from the dead. When that sign came to pass, just as Jesus said it would, they also rejected it. That generation refused to believe because they didn't want to believe. Jesus knew their condition, and he straight up refused to play their game. He told them that he wasn't in the sign business. There are two basic problems with signs. First, when a sign is given, another sign is desired. It's never enough. No matter what Jesus did, these men would have never believed. 
He could have opened the heavens and called myriads of angels to appear, and they would have still wanted more. He could have done any number of signs and wonders in the heavens above, and they still would not have received him. They would have always wanted one more miracle. The same is true today. People are never satisfied. If they come because of the sensational, they will require more and more of the same. This is why authentic, good ground churches function the way that they do. Loving yet firm. Open yet rigid and unmovable. Follow? Second, signs don't save. Faith does. Jesus could have done all the signs imaginable and it would have never saved a single soul unless that soul reached out to him in simple childlike faith. It isn't the miracles that save souls, it is faith. When faith touches grace, the greatest miracle of all, the salvation of the human soul takes place. This is the movement and power of God, and this is the most exciting thing that I have left to look forward to in my life on earth. It's all I want. All I want to do is see God's power move in the lives of those he saves. Because when you witness it, when you watch God move, and it's amazing, not just in your own life, for those of you who are soundly saved, I want you to join me in the journey to watch other people get soundly saved, or even people who are in their infancy in their Christianity grow in the Lord. There's nothing more exciting on earth. When you miss God's saving power, uh, when you're missing everything. If you are a Christian and your, your ticket's punched to heaven, God bless you. You're missing out if you don't see the power of God moving in the lives of people being saved. When you witness God's saving power, you will feel it in your bones. The onrushing of joy, your entire being, you know you're not tricking yourself. It is actually God doing something, and you know what you do? You get the collateral benefit in the moment. Let me tell you, when the power of God is moving, and I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking some mumbo-jumbo. I'm talking about saving grace powers on display. You get the collateral benefit in that moment. How do we not pursue that? See, Jesus isn't in the sign business. He's in the salvation business. If you are waiting for a Damascus Road experience before you come to Jesus, you're probably going to be waiting a long time. Most folks don't get the dog and pony show, just saying. Most folks are convicted of their sins, drawn to Jesus, and called upon to respond to him in simple faith. If you are waiting on a sign, you might just go to hell while you wait. And that bites. Again, the greatest sign of all has already been given. Look to Calvary. See the crucified Savior. Look to the tomb. See him resurrected from the dead. If you can believe those two events, two events and just take them at face value, you can be saved. And then when you come to church on Sunday, this is a great moment of the week to make his name great because he's all I got. Now, here's what the Lord is trying to tell you today. There will be no sign given to this generation. If you are waiting on a sign, you are waiting on something that isn't coming. Come to Jesus now and be saved while you still can. Let's look at the last point of the day. It's called sad separation. The words of verse 13 are among the saddest in all the gospel accounts. 
and he left them. There was nothing more to say and nothing more that could be done. They refused to believe, and he abandoned them to their choice. Those men experienced the wrath of God's abandonment. He turned them over to their own ways and left them in their darkness. What a horrible thought. But that is just what the Lord does. I'm telling you the truth here this morning, folks. What a horrible thought to be abandoned by the Lord. So let me tell you, and what I'm about to say, you may say is harsh. I think it's loving. We can talk about it later. He's not going to deal with you forever. Make no mistake, the Bible's very clear. He will not deal with you forever. There will come a point when he will walk away from you and not return. And he will abandon you to the eternity you have chosen. If God has been speaking to you about being saved, you need to hear and take heed of his voice. There will come a day when he will stop speaking to your heart. When will that day be? Could be today, could be tomorrow. The fact is, the day will come. Don't let your soul, don't bet your soul on the, on, on the thought that you always have tomorrow to get right with the Lord. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 6, 2 in just a second, but let me remind you of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then Pharaoh hardened his heart again. He's still okay. What happened next? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then his cork was sunk. He'd done. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 6, 2? In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Look, friend, nobody goes to hell because God sends them there. People go to hell because they refuse to turn from their sins and believe on Jesus. People go to hell because they love darkness rather than the light. People go to hell because God is a God of love who does not force himself on anyone against their will. People go to hell because God allows them to have their own way. If that's what you want. I'm not trying to put off anybody today. I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. You can only be saved, and you will only be saved when the Spirit of God is calling you. It says that in John 6, 44. So if he starts not talking to you and calling you anymore, if he's turned you over, look, I, I, I think that people in general that love, if they could scare you into heaven, they would. Okay? I can't scare you into it, but I can tell you this. If you don't come to Jesus Christ and believe on him for salvation in this life, you will spend eternity in hell, apart from God, for all eternity. And I know that sounds harsher than separated from Christ for eternity. But at this point, who cares? At this point, why do you think we should be playing games with you instead of telling you plainly? Please, do not sin away your day of grace. Come to Jesus while there is time. Come to Jesus and be saved. Come to Jesus today. And those of you who know Jesus, double down on the fact that we are here to share that gospel truth with as many people as we can. Jude, verse 23, snatch those from the fire while you still can. But if you are still looking for a sign, let me give you a couple as we close today. Let's go to John 3, 16 through 18. I know you all know John 3, 16, but do you know 17 and 18? they're critical. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's another one, John 6, 35 through 37. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. If God is still speaking to you, if you are a Christian and you're weak, and God is still speaking to you, you go home today and you praise God that he's still talking to you. When you're not hearing from him anymore, that's the time to panic. He might have given you over to your own ways. Is redemption still possible? Absolutely. Take what I'm telling you to heart and get on your knees and get right with God. Here's another, John 6, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. There are many more signs if you're interested. Every single one of them is found right here in the Bible. Every single one of them. Heed the signs and Jesus will be your portion and heaven will be your home. Ignore the signs and you're headed for a tragic ending. Is the Lord speaking to you about your soul and your salvation? Heed his voice and come to him right now. If God is talking to you about your saved condition and how you're supposed to make much more of him in your life than what you are, heed what he's saying to you right now. Imagine a driver traveling down the highway, passing sign after sign after sign, telling him the bridge over the river ahead was out. Imagine that same driver plunging to his death in the river because he ignored all the signs. You say, well, no one would do something that foolish, really. Isn't that what some folks are doing? Speeding down the road of life toward an inevitable death. By the way, if you haven't heard the statistics, let me share it with you. Ten out of ten die. You ignore the sign after sign telling you to stop and change road, roads, but you don't. You just plunge into the just punishment for your sins. Quit comparing yourself to Hitler. None of us, even Billy Graham or in picture any other great, Charles Spurgeon, any A.W. Tozer, any other great Christian man, the very best that they have done, and great Christian women, the very best that they have done is like filth in front of a holy God. That's hard for us to get our minds around until we look at the law of God. And when we see the law of God, we see that we are, in fact, guilty. And that if we do get judged for our sins, it's a just punishment. And here's the thing. How tragic is that when the solution is free and simple and available to all? Look to Jesus Christ and be saved. And those of you who are saved... Look deeper to Jesus Christ this week as if we are in the time of the end. The urgency to share the gospel is upon us, even more so than it would have been just in normal days. But as these dark days come, 
The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be everything. It is to me. So I'm going to ask the band to come forward. And in some churches, this is where the altar call would be. It's not going to happen today. Because I'm going to tell you what, I, what, what your options are. If you believe that you need somebody to introduce you to Jesus Christ, there are a handful of us here that will be happy to do it, and I am one of them. And many of us will hang around here after the service. Because why they want you to come forward is right now, if you're convicted of your sins, Satan's going to come and try to steal that during this song. So we got to get it while the emotions are hot. Well, I have found in my journey that that leads to a lot of false conversions. People are coming out of emotion. I want you to deeply, spiritually reach out to God right now. And if he's convicting you, you come and see me afterwards. I'll hang around for you. And if not, you can easily get down on your knees in your own prayer closet, wherever that might be. For Emily and I, it's our living room. It's not much of a closet, but that's where we go. You go where you go. And you get strong in the Lord for such a time as this, those of you who are saved. And those of you who are not saved, today's the day. Jesus is calling you. Quit playing games and come and know him as your personal Savior. And we're going to party in the new Jerusalem together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, let these be your words. Lord, let's see your power save another soul today or multiple souls. But for sure, Lord, strengthen the brothers and sisters who are called to be part of Fresh Encounter Church. Strengthen them for the journey ahead. We love you, Jesus. We are so grateful that you died the sacrificial death in our place and you have victory over death, hell, and the grave and you give it to us free of charge for simply asking. In Jesus, it's your precious name, the name above all names that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.